Welcome to the Emmanuel Baptist Church Podcast. We pray that the sermon you're about to hear would be useful as you grow in your love for God and your love for His church. Now, here's today's sermon. Turn to Matthew chapter 1. We're going to be there this morning. And looking at a text that maybe none of you have ever heard a sermon preached through. Lucky ducks, you got here for the genealogy. Last week's main point was that Jesus is the king of the world. We got that from Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, right? It says the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. That's just verse 1. And Matthew leads with that because he wants to show that Jesus is the, the king of the world. That he is the son of David, the rightful heir to the throne, King David. And he's also the son of Abraham. And Abraham was promised, through your family, many nations will be blessed. And so you put those two together, son of David, rightful heir to the throne, and son of Abraham, through whom many nations will be blessed. He's the king of the whole world. And his kingship will bless the whole world. And so... Naturally, to back up this claim that he just made in verse 1, he starts in verse 2, the genealogy from Abraham to David to the person of Jesus, all to just prove from the get-go, to solidify the point and the claim that he made in verse 1, just to back it up. And so we're going to look all the way from verse 1 to verse 17. This morning there's a whole lot of names. We're going to walk through all of them, which is called, if you don't know, the genealogy in the book of Matthew. And, I, and I'm well aware of the stigma. Okay? <laughs> I'm not lost on uh, the stigma that comes with the genealogy. I think we all, if we're honest, right, there's some liars out there, but if we're all honest, we tend to dismiss the long list of names in our Bible reading plans, right? Because they just come off, they feel unimportant. Anyone? They feel that way, and so we just naturally will skip over those and get to the next verse that doesn't include a bunch of names we can't pronounce. I, uh, my grandparents are here today, and my grandpa's big on ancest- ancestry, right? And, uh, and, so he could, he could tell me right now, like my fourth, co- fourth cousin, twice removed, and all these different things, and he can rattle off so many names of people in our genealogy, our ancestry. And for me, it's not just like a natural interest of mine, until you get like a juicy story in there, right? <laughs> right, like, oh, tell me more about my, you know, seventh great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather, right, where... Um, I remember I was told a story where uh, uh, a lady, I don't know, my relation to her, in my family's past where she tried to poison all the neighborhood kids. Like, that's the one where you lean in, right? And you want to like, tell me more about this pathological murderer in my family, right? That's when we start getting interested. But if it's just a list of names with no accounts of actions or juicy stories, we're just like, eh, right? 
It happens in our Bible reading. Since it's not my bloodline, since there's no details about them, it's, it's hard to get excited. Well, before we get into the genealogy, let me just give some pastoral advice, some pastoral encouragement, and it's profound, okay? I would say have a reasonable goal when you're reading your Bible. Have a reasonable goal. Anytime you read it, whether it be the genealogy or anywhere else in the Bible, have a reasonable goal for when you open that book, what you're going to experience, If it's your goal to get a thrill and just deep emotion stirring and you're just weeping over the pages every single time, in all seriousness, you're going to get discouraged pretty quickly, feel like maybe there's something wrong with me, maybe this just isn't for me, and eventually we'll just give up. If that's our goal, we're not going to achieve it, I assure you. You're not going to achieve that. And so have a reasonable goal. It's profound, right? I told you. Make it your goal to know God better every time you open this book, to look in the pages, to see what does this say about my God? What can I learn from these words about my God? What can I read in these pages about mankind, about me specifically? And if that's your goal, I promise you, you will get something every time you open the Bible because every word here is ultimately about God. And the God that we serve. God has something to say about himself in every text, and Matthew's genealogy is no exception. Matthew's genealogy, we're about to walk through it. In these names, we learn about the character of God. We do. We learn that he welcomes outsiders and he redeems sinners, even the worst of sinners. This genealogy tells us that. As we look at the names of the people, knowing what they've done, this tells us about a good God who loves sinners. This tells us about us, that we don't have to be the best or the brightest or the sharpest, the most popular, to be in God's story. You can be you and be in God's story. Knowing the baggage of your past, knowing what everyone else might have that you might not have. This tells us about you, and this tells tells us about me, that we can be in the story of God. We can be in the family of God, knowing all those things. You see, there is redemption available for people from all generations, all nationalities, all skin colors, and all walks of life if we turn to the cross of Jesus and look to Him as Lord and Savior. And so that's, that's what we see in the genealogy. It's incredible theology, in fact, that we see as we look at these list of names. And so um, my note takers out there, I got three groups of people that I want us to see in our consideration of the genealogy this morning, okay? Hopefully you have your Bible open so you can follow along in it. Three groups of people <clears throat> that we see in the family of God, family tree of God. Firstly, we see notable inclusions. People that are in the family tree that maybe we wouldn't expect to be in the family tree. Notable inclusions. Let me me read, starting in verse 1 through the first part of verse 6. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. 
Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amenadab, Amenadab the father of Nishan, Nishan the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, Jesse the father of David the king. There are notable inclusions in the family of God. There are some that we would expect to be listed, at least looking on the surface, right? The patriarchs, I don't know if you noticed that, but the patriarchs of the faith, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, who was later called Israel, right? These are, yeah, you'd, you'd expect it. You have Nishan, who probably isn't a household name like Abraham is, but he's mentioned in verse 4. And if we go to 1 Chronicles chapter 2, verse 10, it tells us that Nishan was called the prince of the tribe of Judah. He's known for godliness. Okay, yeah, it makes sense then. Nishan would be included. But some are listed we definitely wouldn't expect to be listed in the family of the holy God. Matthew names women, first of all, and that's not a sexist thing to point out. It's simply that women weren't included in lists in the Old Testament of Jewish lineage. They just weren't. So that's notable. That's just interesting that Matthew would stop and say, hey, women are so valuable. The Bible would say, women are so valuable. It's not just men mentioned in God's family. He's the God of these women too. So that's not normal, especially in ancient world, that women would be mentioned in any genealogy or lineage of people, but Christians would say, yes. And so women are mentioned, but not just women, but pagan women. People that didn't serve Yahweh all of their lives. Only the latter half. Mentions Ruth. You know Ruth? Ruth was a Moabite pagan who follows her mother-in-law Naomi from Moab. She worshipped other gods before she worshipped Yahweh. Rahab? Now we're getting multiple layers deep. She's a woman that was a pagan prostitute. She's mentioned in the family of God. And not just women, pagan, prostitutes, but Matthew mentions two people who were known for a sex scandal that included prostitution and family sleeping with one another. Family members sleeping with one another. That kind of sex scandal. And Matthew's like, yeah, we got to put that in the family line of God's story. That's Judah and Tamar. And they're like, what are you thinking, Matthew? It's going to make us look bad. We've got a bunch of dirty people in the story of our Lord and Savior. But that's the point, isn't it? That 
That shows us on full display, front and center, the gospel, the good news of a God that loves sinners, that are undeserving of his grace and yet gives it to them. You think you're too far gone to be in the family of God? You think you've just done too much? Read the genealogy of Jesus. Doesn't matter your gender, your religious history, the mistakes you've made in your past. The story of Jesus is that God accepts those who lay down their past, knowing all the baggage and garbage that comes with it, lays it down. They take up their cross to follow Him. Made anew. That's the gospel. God's not worried about egg on His face because the people He's associating with. Jesus lived and breathed to spend time with the prostitute and tax collectors. He's not worried about egg on His face or having a dirty family. In fact, I would say, think about this, that the inclusion of such dirty sinners is not to his embarrassment, but rather to his glory. The inclusion of such dirty sinners is not to the embarrassment of God, but to the glory of God and to further his praise. You know 2 Corinthians 12, 9, where it says, His power is made known through our weakness. You know that verse? Where it's in our weakness, when our weakness is shown, when our weakness is on full display, then it is shown the power of God in us that we would prevail. Well, so it is also that the depths of God's love is made known for us when the depths of our sin are exposed. You see that? When we hide and sweep under the carpet all the things that we've done, All we're doing is sweeping under the carpet how much God loves and what He would do for even the worst of sinners. But when we just confess like we did early in the service and just admit, I'm not okay, what we're doing there is showing, but look how much God loves that He would save even me. So I think the inclusion of Rahab, the pagan prostitute from Jericho, It's just magnifying the glory of God, not the embarrassment of God. Think about it, though. You can pick on Rahab or Ruth, Judah, and Tamar. Reality is, though, is that none of them in this list that I just read, including the patriarchs Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or the prince of the tribe of Judah, none of them deserve to be in the family of God. None of them. Abraham just as much as Rahab. Have you ever heard the phrase, don't meet your heroes? I'm talking about? If you meet your heroes, you're probably going to be let down, start to see their flaws. Remember some years back, I uh, went to like a pastor's conference and uh, I remember I was on the escalator one step behind Tim Keller, if you've ever heard of Tim Keller and and I was like, Sarah, it's Tim Keller. You know, like just, he's like the man right in front of us. And, and, uh, and then John Piper, if you ever heard of John Piper, I, I love to read and listen to John Piper. And I remember I, I was crossing him in the, in the hallway. 
and I stopped, and I, and I, I stopped his assistant that was walking with him, and they were kind of walking fast like they were getting somewhere, and I said, hey, can I just say hi, and, and just shake your hand, and just say thank you so much, and, and he did. We didn't get a long time to talk. I said, hey, I'd love to talk, and, and his assistant was like, sir, we've had a million people ask that. He has got to get on stage, and I was like, okay, all right, sorry, but it would have been really cool if we were going to sit and talk for a while, but maybe not, though, because you meet your heroes, you start to see their flaws. You start to see them live up to the expectations you've put them up against, right? You put this on this pedestal, and they're going to fall off when you meet them. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, don't put them too high on a pedestal. Abraham and Isaac were cowards. They didn't protect their wives, but instead, when they saw danger come, in order to protect themselves, they said, that's my sister. You can sleep with her. Cowards. Jacob, he's only in the family tree because he lied to get in it. Right? You know the story? Jacob deceived his father so that he could get his birthright instead of Esau. He's only in the story because he's a deceiver and a cheat. Ultimately, because God is gracious and kind to him. But let's not put Jacob on a pedestal just because his name was turned to Israel later. Even Nashon, or Nassan, and all the rest of them that we mentioned, they are in God's mind when, through the pen of Paul, God tells us, No one is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Whether it be Rahab or Abraham or any of the like, none of them deserve to be in the story of a holy God. None of them deserve to be in God's family tree. You don't deserve to be in God's story. I don't deserve to be in God's story. Yet he's gracious. This is the gospel, isn't it? Once we start thinking we deserve it, it's no longer good news. It's just expected news. But it's good news because we don't deserve it. No one deserves to be taken in by God. Anyone. This is incredible. Listen to this. Anyone who God chooses to be adopted as his child is accepted by grace alone. By grace alone. So there are notable inclusions, all of them. But there's also notable exclusions in the story of God's family. Notable exclusions. Not just people that were put in that you wouldn't expect it, but people that were taken out that you wouldn't, that you, like, why, did they, why were they taken out? I'll show you what I mean. Let me keep reading here. Verse 6, you got your Bible open still? End of verse 6, we're going to read through verse 11. It says, David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asaph. Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram. Joram, the father of Uzziah, Uzziah, the father of Jotham, 
Jotham, the father of Ahaz, Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, the father of Amos, and Amos, the father of Josiah, Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers, at the time of the deportation to Babylon. I remember when I was in high school, I was reading the Gospels and just trying to study and just understand everything. And I don't know if you knew this, maybe you're about to experience what I experienced in high school, but you start to see that they tell their story in in different orders of the events took place at different times. Matthew will tell it took place in this way, and Mark will actually move the times of the different events in his story, and Luke will do the same. You're like, when was it? Which one came first? Which story came second? And I had just like a meltdown faith crisis. Anyone ever experienced that? Reading the Bible, you're like, my, everything's a sham, right? And you're just, has no one seen this before, right? Thinking that you're the first one that's ever read that before. I remember I had that, just thinking, oh, the Bible must be wrong. There, there, there's contradictions, there's errors. It's no longer the Word of God. And you start to go down this rabbit hole, unnecessary rabbit hole. This genealogy, Matthew excludes some names, multiple names, in fact. I counted at least four, where he says, so-and-so fathered so-and-so. But if you go back in First and Second Chronicles, that wasn't actually their father. He skips generations. And you might think, oh no, my faith is a sham. No, instead... Matthew has an agenda. He has a story to tell, something specific to get to. And the inclusion of some tells that story, and the exclusion of some also tells that story. Matthew's making an argument, both in the inclusion and exclusion of certain people. I just want to turn your attention to Matthew chapter 1, verse 8. Make one example. It says, Joram, the father of Uzziah. But if you go to First and Second Chronicles, we won't all turn there right now, but you can take note. I'll tell you where, where it's at. In fact, First Chronicles chapter 3, verse 10 and 11 tells us that Joram is the father of Ahaziah, not Uzziah. And Ahaziah Second Chronicles tells us, is the great-grandfather of Uzziah. So now if your head's just spinning, let me tell you, that skips then three generations between Joram and Uzziah. Three consecutive generations of kings were excluded from Matthew's list. Why? It's not a mistake. It's not Matthew didn't know his history. It's not that he wasn't just going through First and Second Chronicles and, and looked up and looked back down and missed a line. No, Matthew has a reason for both his inclusion of some and exclusion of some. And I think it has likely something to do with the fact that these three in between Joram and Uzziah were unfit kings, and they died 
in opposition to God, not in the family of God. Briefly mention King Ahaziah, that's Joram's son. He wasn't named in Matthew, but if you go to 2 Kings, we see that he was associated with Jezebel's family. You know, Jezebel and her family, they were idol worshipers who killed and went out and slaughtered God's prophets at that time. And King Ahaziah, Joram's son, was associated with that whole posse. And 2 Kings 9.27 shows that he died a man opposed to God. His son, King Joash, he wasn't named in Matthew. Well, his story is that when Syria, an enemy country to Israel, when Syria was going to come and threaten and invade Israel, Joash's tactic was not to run to God, plead to God, and protect Israel like God has always done in the past. Instead, he goes, runs into the temple, takes out all the gold that would be for God, and he gives it to the king of Syria to pay him off that he wouldn't touch Israel. 2 Kings 12.20 shows that he, his own people, the people of Israel who were righteous, struck him down for that evil. He was opposed to God. His son, King Amaziah, wasn't named in Matthew. He rebelled against God, and 2 Chronicles 25 shows that he died as a man opposed to God as well. So what do we get from this? I'd say that inclusion of some tells us one thing, and that is that it doesn't matter what you've done, you can be included in the family of God through faith in a risen Savior who died on your behalf. You can be included. But the exclusion of these kings also tells us one thing, that once you die, that's no longer true or available or possible. There's no second chance in the afterlife, so to speak. Once you die, you're in the family of God or you're not. There's no holding zone, no purgatory. There's this life. So I'd encourage you, each each one of you, as we just reflect on not just those who were included, but those who were excluded, I just want to reflect on that and just encourage each one of you, if you haven't made a decision to follow Jesus, and I don't mean just take the name of Christian, that means nothing. It means nothing. Can I just be blunt? It means nothing to call yourself a Christian just because it's culturally normal or acceptable. What it means is to lay down your life and say, Jesus, you are my everything. Whatever you tell me goes. You are my king, not myself. I will serve you every day and every breath. I'm going to stumble and trip here and there, but I'm going to serve you with my life. If you haven't made that decision, I'm not talking about a name badge for Christianity. I'm talking that decision. Please heed the words of the Bible. Some are included, and you can be included in the family of God. And some are excluded because they died in rebellion to God. And I don't wish that on anyone here. Third group is not just notable inclusions and notable exclusions, but there are forgotten inclusions. Forgotten Inclusions. Let me read the rest of the genealogy starting in verse 12. It says, After the deportation to Babylon, 
Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel. Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, the father of Abiud. And Abiud, the father of Eliakim. Eliakim, the father of Azor. Azor, the father of Zadok. Zadok, the father of Achim. Achim, the father of Eliud. And Eliud, the father of Eliezer. And Eliezer, the father of Mathan. And Mathan, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. And I'll read verse 17. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. From David to the deportation of, to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. The third group I want to look at here that we see in this genealogy is the forgotten inclusions. Other than this list in Matthew chapter 1, history has no record of these men. None. No ancient literature. No biblical, go back to the Old Testament. No record, aside from Matthew. And the amazing truth is this, that they were all personally known by God. Personally known by Jesus himself. Jesus knew these men in his humanity. He knew them in his humanity. Jacob was his grandpa. You guys know your grandpa. Jesus knew Jacob. In Jesus' humanity, because Jacob was his grandpa. Mathen, that's his great grandpa. How many of you had your chance to meet your great grandpa? Some of us are blessed to have that, not everyone. For me, my grandpas are Lloyd, Richard, Al, I was able to meet, my great grandpa. I knew them all. I have stories to tell of all of them. I personally know them, and the reality is that these men are, in this book, are entirely unknown to me and you. But Jesus likely met them. He knew stories of them. He could tell you stories himself of them. He likely sat on their laps as a child. Jesus knew these men in Jesus' humanity. But he also certainly knew all of them in his divinity. For us, again, these names that I just read are completely unknown to us. We know nothing about them other than their name. But for Jesus, who is God, he thought about them before the foundation of the world, Ephesians 1. Jesus knit them together in their mother's womb. He did that. Jesus knew the number of hairs on their head when they lived, before he walked on this earth. He knew them in his divinity. He created them. What an amazing truth that is, just to think about for you and for me. God knows us, even if we're otherwise forgotten long after we've lived. Jesus knows us. So just in these list of names, we learn a lot. We learn about judgment, truth. We, we learn about 
we learn that God excludes some from his family, those who reject his lordship. We learn about judgment. It's very real. But we learn about salvation, that God includes people in his family who are both undeserving of it and even seemingly unimportant in the grand scheme of the world. Forgotten. Jesus brings them in, gives them value, and loves them. So, just out of this genealogy, let me put some application in your life. If you feel unworthy, or you feel like a nobody, there's room in the family of God for you. There is. Because the reality is, that's all of us. All of us are unworthy. And none of us are too big, too known, too important. But God accepts us. And so we put our faith in Him. So, as the family of God this morning, as the family of God, we're going to partake in something that the family of God does. That is taking communion. This symbolizes what He had to do in order to bring us into His family. I just want you to know, He, he didn't, you aren't naturally a child of God. We sang child of God this morning. You aren't naturally a child of God. The Bible actually says naturally you're a child of wrath. We're only brought into the family of God through adoption. He adopts us as his children. And so in order to adopt us, what we're about to do symbolizes that necessary action for adoption. So I'd invite the deacons and the deacons in training up to begin preparing the elements. Thanks for listening to today's sermon. If you live in or near Bethany, Missouri, we invite you to join us for our worship services held on Sunday morning and Sunday evenings, as well as our various activities on Wednesday nights. For more information on how you can get involved, visit our website at bethanyibc.com.